Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, want to play The Sims? Create. Empower. Captivate. Inspire. The Sims is a platform where you control life. Putting the power of creativity in your hands and celebrating it. It's a place that sparks imagination, connecting vibrant creators everywhere to unleash life's endless possibilities, both in-game and out. Get inspired at thesims.com and save 50% off for the holidays. Ignite creative inspiration and spark something with The Sims. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. He was always hiding. I mean, it became more true progressively, but he was, from the first time I met him, he stuttered, he was apologetic, he was hesitant in all things, in all situations. And in a way, it was only when he had a guitar in his hands that he seemed, you know, physically confident. And welcome to No Filler the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. My name is Quentin, and with me, as always, is my brother Travis. And um, it's been a while, Trav. I feel like it's been too long since we've done this, man. Yeah, it's been like three weeks, probably, right? Since our last release. Yeah, so that means it's been a month since we actually recorded can you imagine the pins and needles that our one listener has been <laughs> oh my God. waiting on? I know. <laughs> hey, wait, what's that? What was that? Is, there, is that a third voice? In the yeah, yeah, I just tiptoed in. I thought, I, thought I heard something. Uh, that is the voice of Larry Lodra. What's up, dude? Who is uh, a good, good friend of mine. Uh, we used to live in Austin together, and he is actually chiming in from Austin to join us today to cover... Nick Drake uh, and his 1971 album, Brighter Later. It's a goodie. It is a goodie. And uh, Larry, you're one of the, um, like, as soon as we we decided to start doing this podcast, we're like, man, Larry's going to be one of the guys we have to get on this podcast to, to shoot some shit with and talk music. Dude, it's... It's either you guys or I, uh, t- you know, spout off these useless facts to my wife, who is just like <laughs> Dude, so had it with me in the trivia. That is how I feel, man. <laughs> I know. Trust me, I know. Um, you're actually the guy that showed me Nick Drake. Um, 
shit. Dude, it's it's been over 10 years, man. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Since we lived in Austin together. It's crazy. Yeah, it's wild. Um also, shit, you know what? You guys all know about our uh music blog New Dust that is rest in peace. Uh Larry, we got the name New Dust. We pulled that from one of your songs. Yeah, I remember that. Do There's you, one of those Do uh, you remember do you remember the line? Because I could tell it what it was. No, don't, please don't. I, I can, I'm gonna. <laughs> please can don't. I? Can, no, but, can I? I dude, it's very, very poetic. Yeah. Um, I don't Life remember. Changing. I don't remember the name of the song, but the line was. Then I think the song. The song was called "New Dust." Is what it was called. Okay. Uh, yeah, the line was like to take this old blood and make new dust or something. Yeah. Mm. Gets me make, going. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't played that one in probably ten years. Maybe since like the last time I saw you, which is it just blows yeah, my mind. dude. Maybe you could give us an on-air exclusive. Yeah, bust out that guitar. Um, but no, we yeah we uh, for some reason we thought that was just such a cool name for a music blog, and and that's what we went with. Um, well, flattered, very flattered. You should be, dude. You're one of my favorite songwriters. I'm not not even joking. <sighs> Holy smokes, you guys! <laughs> <laughs> but this, this—I'm so glad to actually be on here talking about this because this record is uh, one of my favorites. It means a great deal to me for many reasons. Uh, it's been with me a long, long time. But uh, also, one of the last songs, one of the best songs on the record, in my opinion, is "Northern Sky." Uh-huh. Towards the towards the end of the record. And uh, was my me and my wife's wedding song. So oh, nice. Yeah, dude. So uh, love this record. Awesome. Um, so, awesome. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. So I guess let's just jump right into it. Um, I don't know really where to start. So the thing about Nick Drake and that clip that I played um, was a guy by the name of Joe Boyd, um, who was his producer for his first two records. And I want to say he met him. uh, I think, I think I read back in 68. So I don't, I don't think Nick had, had decided to quit college yet, but Joe, Joe Boyd was like, Hey, you know, I've, I think he heard like a demo or something from Nick and was just blown away and offered him a deal. Um, And so the, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, lay lay some knowledge on me, brother. No, no. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he he got a demo tape. But he got it from uh the bass player of Fairport Convention. Okay. And a few weeks before that, he ended up he had this tape of like a few songs and he showed up at the doorstep of this guy named Chris Blackwell's house. Uh or not his house, but his his office. And Chris Blackwell was the owner of Island Records at the time. So he shows up at his house. And the story is, is that Chris Blackwell's like, this thing, this stuff uh, does not rock at all. And it's huh. kind of like, I, I manage rock guys come back to me in like six months with some more material and we'll talk. So then a few weeks later, he plays this club opening up for Fairport Convention. And the bassist... And some other like big folk band at the time. And the uh, bassist hears Drake 
is immediately captivated and drags Drake, Nick Drake, to um, this guy's house. Um, I'm blanking on his name now. John, his um, his producer's house. Oh, Joe Boyd. Joe Boyd. That's right. Yeah. And uh, gives him the tape, that same tape that he gave Chris Blackwell, and freaks out over it and like doesn't stop listening to it. Anyway. Yeah. And Travis, what do you know about Nick Drake, dude? Did you ever get into him? Dude, just just tell us. Like, Nick Drake just sucks. Just, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Hurt my feelings, man. No, no. Here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. So, like, here's my experience with Nick Drake. I've listened to Pink Moon, right? And like, I'm always just. I feel like, unlike any other artist, Nick Drake just has this like warmth and like comfort to his voice and like his his songwriting that like i don't i don't get that vibe from anybody else yeah so you know what i just just um i just decided right now you know what we're gonna do guys because as soon as you said trev you said you you heard pink moon right yep well let's watch that volkswagen commercial huh well, and dude, my, I was going to talk about that, actually. Yeah, because that's that. So the, it, it came out in 99. I wanted to ask you guys about that specifically. So, so fuck, I don't know how far to get into it yet. But let's just say that, that Nick Drake was not appreciated in his time. Um, his, I guess, fame or like his respect came after his death. And I feel like I'm jumping the gun. But... Actually, you know what? Fuck this. Fuck the, fuck the commercial. Let's just play a little bit of Pink Moon because one thing about Pink Moon, and I'm talking about the song specifically, and the entire album actually, it's just his voice and his guitar. Let's listen to a little bit of Pink Moon before we dive into Brighter Later. I saw it written and I saw it say Pink Moon is on its way None of you stand so tall Pink Moon and I get you Dude, and that's why I drive a VW. <laughs> Swear to God, I have a Passat outside. Are you serious? And it's, and it's all coming back to me now. Damn. Why that sweet VW looks so appealing. Let me ask you guys this. So, like, my, I think I, I kind of had known that, that this is the commercial that sort of, like, brought back his popularity, right? Because, like, you were saying, like, this is when the record started to sell again. Is, but like, he was never. Sort of- he was never popular, in his yeah, time. Yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't popular in his time, yeah. Yeah, what I'm asking is, like, is this what made him... Because now, like, Nick Drake is, 
very like well known and like has sort of a like he made a comeback right i mean and, and is it tied to this commercial because that's huge mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people say that this kind of like when the tides turned i guess yeah so Volkswagen, we, we have to credit volkswagen for for reintroducing nick drake to the masses well but think about it that was 20 years over 20 years later it, it's not about reintroducing it's introducing him for the first time to a lot of people Okay, yeah, that's a that's a good point. But like, I mean, you know, as far as like this brought back his, well, no, I guess you're saying that he never had a a moment, is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, so he we didn't were kind of during about- his lifetime. He, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't have uh, you know any notoriety during his lifetime. I mean, if actually after after he does brighter later, he ends up uh, it, it ends up being a commercial failure because he like doesn't promote it nobody picks it like it gets mixed reviews yeah and becomes yesterday's yesterday's news basically and then he moves back in with his parents calls up the old record producer that helped him with his first two albums and is like like can we please make another record and then makes pink moon in two days basically so We'll get into a little bit more details in a little bit here. One thing that I read that that I didn't realize, and maybe you knew this, Larry, but Nick was super influenced by his mother. Um, mm. Her name's Molly Drake, and um, she was a poet and a musician. And there's these recordings, these recordings on tape, like home recordings of her singing and playing piano. Um, and Nick's sister Gabrielle kept hold held on to those tapes, and since Nick's death, uh, they've been released officially. Um, but I've actually got a clip here from a, a really great documentary that that is up on YouTube. Uh, we'll post a link to it in our show notes. It's called "A Skin Too Few: The Days of Nick Drake," um, and there's a little bit of one of Molly's songs on here. Um, it's really cool. G- Gabrielle's talking about Nick and uh, their mother's influence on, on his guitar playing and singing. So here's a little bit of that. I think that Nick was unconsciously very influenced by her. He may be horrified at the time to have heard this, but I'm quite certain that he was very influenced by her whole chord structure and by her way of composing. And perhaps the best way of showing this is to actually play one of her songs. Um, And you can see somewhere the similarity in the influence. stuff man beautiful there's a i guess nick drake album compilation it's called family tree Uh, it's got 
songs from him, like demos, early demos. It's got Molly, his mother, and Gabrielle all singing on it. It's it's great. Have you heard that, Larry? I I actually haven't heard that. I saw this movie a while back, so I actually uh, hearing that she was a musician. That's that's uh, new information to me, I, or at least it's um, renewed in my mind. Just because, yeah, you could. It's crazy how how similar he does sound. I mean, those yeah. like big, those big uh, bassy chords and all of the use of like nature in the lyrics too which yeah is really interesting to hear yeah it was that's a it's a really pretty song so that song is called uh how wild the wind blows um so but yeah she like i said in, in her lifetime she never you know all we ever had with those with these just home recordings um but yeah i, I thought that was interesting too because you know they grew up in this household where their mom was always singing and yeah, you can really hear that influence. Um, and I feel like we need to jump. Let's go ahead and play our first tune and then we can get back into it. So from what I read, there's no singles on this record. Um, so they're all fair game on this for our uh, podcast. I'm going to play track two on the record, which comes after the little introduction uh, track. It's called... Hazy Jane 2. So I want to talk about his, uh, I guess, timing with the way he lays his lyrics over his guitar. And again, I'm no like musician. I just play drums. It doesn't count. But Larry, as a songwriter yourself, um, I just, this song in particular, I just love the way that it's like he, it's like he's cramming all these words in 
into these verses, you know, uh, but he sets it up in a way that he can, he could pretty much just continue singing indefinitely over the guitar. Does that make sense? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Dude, let me say something right now before, before Larry gets a chance to answer. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of, cause, cause I was going to ask the same question. Like this, this, this is a, a, a like a, I don't know, like a technique or something. Cause like it, it makes me think of Misty Mountain Hop by Led Zeppelin. Misty Mountain Hop. Is that what you just said? Isn't that what the fucking name of the song is, bro? Misty, <laughs> Misty Mountain Top. Oh, shit. Misty Mountain I, it, Hop. Wait, it might be Misty Mountain Hop. It I is Misty Mountain Hop. Dude, no, it's Hop. I think hop. it is. Misty. Are you kidding me? No. Oh, no. Yeah, Misty it's, Mountain it's, Hop. It's, what? It's Misty Mountain Hop. Yeah, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, anyway, what I was going to say is, like, with the way that, yeah, so with the way that, that, that they do the verse on that song... Robert Plant or whatever. It's the same kind of thing where like the, the, the verse can extend like it can be longer, it can be shorter, but it's the cadence and stuff where it's like, there is no like, you know, you can just, you can make it as long as you want, I guess. Why Does that make any freaking sense? Why don't you take a good look at yourself right, right. That's what and describe. Like Wait, you can see? extend that forever. Yeah. I mean, you just keep going. So anyways, Larry, are, are we dumb or what? Tell us how stupid we are. <laughs> All right, dummies. I'm taking the reins from here. No, no, no. Uh, look, um, dude, if you it, it, if it sounds good, that's all that matters. I mean, as I don't want to get too pretentious with the way that uh, I, I mean, I'm no like end all be all when it comes to why it sounds good. I mean, or how how they con- how he constructed it. I'm sure it's pretty. It probably follows a lot of the same. I, I haven't analyzed it, but it probably follows a lot of the same sort of pop structures, you know, uh, with a lot of it being, you know, just y- you'll have like an eight bar verse or a 16 bar verse, and then you go to a chorus or a pre chorus and then a chorus, and then you just repeat it over again and maybe hit a bridge along the way uh, to, to switch things up. But in terms of, you know his songs and and why they sound so flowy like that yeah it's it's really what he's doing is he's syncopating his voice over those guitar lines he's a guitar player first and so when you hear when you hear him play um you pointed out something earlier that's very interesting about him and that is that he, like Joni Mitchell he would create guitar tunings um, to kind of reach for a certain sound. So it can be frustrating sometimes to play guitar and, and reach for the same chords, but if you detune your guitar, your hands are forced to do something completely different and, and uh, you come up with something unique, you play rhythms that you wouldn't otherwise play. And um, when you sing over that stuff, you know, uh, it's, you know, and you syncopate your voice over that, his vocal lines are usually pretty simple and follow the guitar, probably because of how complicated some of the rhythms he's playing is. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, no, I, I didn't notice that, but um, I have a quote here from uh, a guy named Neil McColl. He, um, his father is like a legendary folk guitar player, and he is 
as well. And there was a Nick Drake tribute concert that they put together uh, in Birmingham in 2009. And uh, they enlisted Neil to, to play his guitar parts. Um, and he says here, his, his right hand fingering particularly is like playing an upside down guitar at times. And just the sheer number of tunings. For the gigs that we did, I had eight different tunings to get through. That's insane. That's absolutely crazy. Because if you... Sonic Youth used to do that, but they would have to bring like 16 guitars on the road with them so that people wouldn't have to hear them tune. Yeah. And Nick Drake, when he would play, Joe Boyd would... Because he was his manager, his... Like, the person who had the most interest in whether or not his records would sell and he sent an, uh one of his friends to go check him out to check out this gig that was like cities away to see drake play one of his very few shows and he said and his friend came back and said well uh he goes well how was how was the drake show joe asked his friend and his friend goes it was embarrassing and part of it was is that a, he would play quiet, but B, between every song, he would take forever to tune. And he would like think about what tunings he needed to go to. And so it would be so, such a slow transition that people would start to talk over him and the room would get louder and louder to the point where he'd get like three songs in, stare at his shoes for a moment and would just walk off, like not talk to anybody. And so he would rarely play shows as a result of that. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up. So the album that came out before Brighter Later was released a couple years before. It was called uh, Five Leaves Left. And um, apparently shortly after that was released, you know, they wanted to, to get get him out there for, for some exposure. And he opened for Fairport Convention um and a couple other bands and and that concert went over really well the the way that and i'm quoting someone that i i don't have his name cuz i was i was also listening to this old bbc radio um little like mini series and for some reason they didn't ever give the name of the guy that they were interviewing at one point uh but he said that that it was like nick drake was just like captivating the audience was very like um present and just uh, you know they're they were in awe of him basically but then jumped two years later with brighter later and like you were saying so joe boyd sent him off on the road to play some universities and other small venues and and bars and like you said people would just get they would just talk over him uh even like while he was singing the songs he they would just be in the background talking just not giving a shit and yeah, with with having to change his guitar tunings between every song, and because Nick Drake is such a shy and uh, you know quiet person, he didn't say like, "All right, uh, I'm not gonna play until you guys stop talking." You know, he would just kind of go in on himself and and get all in his head. And he called Joe, you know, a few gigs in, and was like, "I I can't do this anymore. I'm coming home." And like you had said it before we started recording, Larry, he was just a terrible self-promoter. And that's why, from what I read, those those two uh, albums, Five Leaves Left and Brighter Later, 
neither of them sold more than 5,000 copies uh, when they were first released. Yeah. So he he does the two records. He puts, you know, so much effort into making those two records. And um, they flop, partially because he gets into drugs and can't promote it. He gets pretty heavy into doing some drugs. Some say that uh, John Cale, who was in the Velvet Underground... Oh, yeah, he shows up on Brighter Later, right? Yeah, he he was working on a Nico record next door. And he's like, I have to work on this record, Joe. Joe lets him in. He reworks uh, Northern Sky and a couple other tunes. But along the way, it's said that he may have introduced... He may or may not have introduced... um, Drake to heroin. That is like nobody knows for sure, but yeah. it's pretty soon after that that he was just becoming increasingly unreliable and, and more uh, and more isolated too. Is and more I, isolated, yeah. yeah. And, and so when that all didn't work out, couple things happen. He calls his mom and he's like, "Can I move back in? Can I move back home?" And because he's like, "I've failed." Like the book that I read on this dude, he was like, he said something like heartbreaking to his mom and I'm not quoting it right, but he was just like, I failed at everything that I've tried to do. And he, and he moves back in and he moves back home. He's like, I, I, like, I don't like it at home, but I, I feel like I can't survive anywhere else, dude. Then, then he, he like literally Months after that, he has some songs, calls uh, John Wood, and uh, and he goes, I've got a new batch of songs, and he goes into the studio and records them, it, and records them for uh, over two days, and John Wood asks him, like, well, so what are we going to do with the arrangement? And apparently, like... He didn't talk at all during this session, dude. Like nothing. Didn't say a word to anybody. I've heard uh, on other accounts that most of the record he he sang, he was singing on his back. And we're talking about Pink it. Pink Moon at this point, right? Yeah, we're talking about Pink Moon. Yeah. And uh, uh, he recorded in two days, like I said, and then he goes to Island and sells it to Island for... 500 bucks which is the only and then he like never had anything to do with music after that just went back home and 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 died that was yeah that was released in 72 and then and he died in 74 he overdosed on prescription meds whoo it's bleak my friends yeah dude he's a he is hardcore so here's why i picked brighter later i mean so Pink Moon is one thing, and it's haunting, you know, and beautiful. It's just him and his guitar. But what I like about Brighter Later is, you know, it's got it's got saxophone, it's got strings, you know. It's, you know, it's got. I was gonna say that that um, what I love about Pink Moon is just how intimate it is, man. I actually like the fact that it's just him and his guitar. Like I'm not not that not that the songs on Brighter Later aren't aren't great. I'm just saying, like, there's something about that. I feel like with 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 his music, it's more impactful when it's just him singing to you. You know, 
without the other the other instruments. I agree. Yeah, I I totally agree. That's why um, I would say that's probably my favorite record. But I mean, I love the all the arranged stuff on the first two records too. But yeah. I agree with you. There's something about the intimacy of yeah. that last one yeah. that is just like you just feel like you're in his. You're right there with him yeah. in his mind. Yeah. Do you think the the flop of brighter later is what made him say, you know what, I'm just going back to just me and my guitar? I think so. It, it had to have. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, it, like you said, like he put so much work into it, and it's like I'm just gonna stick with what I know, which is me and my guitar. And his battle with depression was just getting growing, you know, and he was becoming more and more isolated. Um, and actually, okay, you know what? See, you know, this is one of the reasons why I didn't want to do Pink Moon is because, like, like I said, it's it, you can't you can't talk about Nick Drake without without diving into this, you know, dark, depressing stuff. But you know, Brighter Later's got some some more upbeat tunes. Uh, so we can kind of steer away from this. So let's play, let's play our next clip. Let's jump to track four. This, um, is one of my favorite Nick Drake songs. Um, I think I play a couple of the verses here, so it's pretty good. It's a good chunk of the song. Uh, so this one is called one of these things first. Could have been a sailor, could have been a cook A real life lover, could have been a book I could have been a signpost, could have been a clock As simple as a cattle, steady as a rock Could be here and now. I would be, I should be, but I how? I could have been but what are these things for her? I could have been 
begin fellas <laughs> <laughs> well what do you think that one's about what do you like what do you like about it so just judging by i haven't read the lyrics yet but from what i could hear like he's in his mid-20s right when he's writing this stuff yeah like early yeah. pretty early you know i think well, yeah. i think you know that's something that a lot of us you know go through like re- reflective on sort of like the path that we're on in life and stuff like in our 20s and like what are we going to end up being and stuff? And so it sounds like he's just kind of reflecting on like what he what, what could have been, you know, which is yeah relatable. It's, it's I a think. very it's a it's a very uh, like Robin Pecknold type song. Yeah, know? dude, good call. That's true, man. Pecknold is always very re- reflective in that way. Yeah. So what I like, my favorite, I mean, the first two verses, which is what we heard um, at the beginning. He's kind of singing about like almost like. Um, reincarnation kind of thing or you know like i could have been a sailor could have been a cook could have been a book could have been a clock um i didn't didn't catch that yeah yeah um and then in the second verse it seems like he's singing about like a relationship that didn't work out or something uh or like you know what he wished he could have been for this for this person in his life, you know, saying I could have been your pillar, could have been your door. I could have stayed beside you, could have stayed for more. I could have been your statue, could have been your friend. A whole long lifetime could have been the end. And then the chorus, I could be your so true. I would be, I should be through and through. Anyways, beautiful, beautiful stuff. I guess my only commentary on that, it's like, if you were to think about having that sort of uh, that th- that thought about like I could be all these different things, there's something really, gosh, I can't find the word for it, but there's something like you. There's this existential quality of that uh, about yeah. posing that thought. It's like yeah. I could have been. He's he's like thinking about all of the different possibilities of what life could have been. And how bizarre it is to be here, to be living, a living, breathing being uh, placed where you are now. And so, like, it's just insane how he captures that. But I I can't imagine having that kind of thought unless you start to feel those wafts of nihilistic nihilism in your mind where it's like, you know, I might as well have been this inanimate object in this room or i could have been all of these things like how how much more simple that would have been yeah yeah i mean it could it could be it could be like something as depressing as that but it could also be something as like uh inquisitive as like man uh, the fact that i'm here and now it's like it's it's uh, just a curious thing and that's maybe what he's getting at too but It's a a great song. I love it. It just sounds beautiful. That tumbling sort of arrangement. The piano. The piano piano line's great. I actually really like the piano on that one. Yeah, I like this one. It's more simple. Drums, guitar, And it's interesting how he he draws that that word out. 
you know, like so, like it just oh, draws it, it out for been. way longer than. Yeah, yeah. I think that's interesting. Like you don't, you know, that makes me interested in the song. Like cause yeah. you don't because when he's doing that, like you're definitely he's got your attention at that point because it's like, what? What's he doing? You know? Yeah. Like when he when he hits what part? Like what what part do you like? There's that word. There, there's that word that he draws out really long. It, it's it's in the chorus. He does it over. He and like over hits again. hits that falsetto in there. Here, let's let's play. Let's let's just play it. Yeah, let's play it again. I could have been but what are these things for us? I could have been. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He just draws these words out, and it's really different, you know? Yeah, it's really cool. And it's like, you know, if he's longing for something, maybe that's why he's doing it, you know what I mean? Like, he's thinking about... Maybe I'm stretching with that, but I'm just, you know, I'm trying to think of the thinking behind doing it that way. Like, why is he doing that? Is he's it just probably to... not thinking about it too much. I don't I don't imagine him thinking about it too much. I, I think when stuff like that happens... You don't perform something like that. I don't imagine you perform something like that being so calculated. Like, why do I put this here or that? You probably make sense of it after the fact. My estimation is he's probably just in the moment. And that's why that performance is so fantastic is you feel that yeah. longing in that in that, co- right. that sort of cooing thing that he's doing there. Right, right. So, yeah, these are the songs that I like more on this album um did you guys like hazy jane too the first song i played yeah i love that song yeah man yeah. hazy jane's great though like the way that he paces those words and stuff is just yeah. something else man yeah okay cool i mean i didn't want to i don't want to make this episode too damn long or we could dive into the lyrics in hazy jane too as well but let's just jump ahead um and also i just want to comment on this is one of my favorite album covers of all time yeah, I just too. love everything about it. The color, uh, the the way the shadows are cast uh, over his body. I mean, it's it's haunting, man. It's really haunting. Um, well, it's I, funny because it's almost it. like a it's almost like a, a bait and switch, you know? Because you're like, oh, there he is, just him and his guitar, and then you put it on. It's like, where, where are all these <laughs> horns coming from? <laughs> yeah. There's Hold that old Kirby again. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, well, let me ask you: is, is uh, is five leaves left? Is it just him and his guitar, or did he have other no. instruments on that one? It's him and his boy Curbs. Him, him and his boy Curbs. Okay. <laughs> who's who, now, he provided who's, the who's string Curbs? arrangements for the most part, right? Okay. Yeah, he he did all the. Um, I mean, he he had some of those Fairport Convention guys on there. He worked at the he worked with the various a bunch of different musicians, uh, but. Kirby is the dude who arranged, did all the arrangements for him. Do you know what Five Leaves uh, Five Leaves Left comes from? The phrase? Yeah. No. No. He, he was a cigarette smoker and would roll his own cigarettes. Mm. And at the, like when you'd get to the fifth of the final five leaves of paper, it yeah. would say Five Leaves Left. In <laughs> cigarette. Ah, that's mm, cool. Interesting. I like that. Yeah. You know what about this? Uh, like in terms of arrangers, that's interesting. Is 
the guy who's originally supposed to arrange this record was this guy named Richard Hewson. And he uh, he actually was the one who put all those strings and stuff on Let It Be that like pissed everybody off. Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> and uh, he apparently recorded some songs with that dude and like just wasn't into it. And then he he had this friend from college. That's that Robert Kirby guy. We Robert were Kirby, about yeah. Earlier, earlier. and uh, he started working out arrangements with him. He had played in rock bands and sort of got what Drake was doing. And the Island guys were like went to hear the stuff he was doing with Kirby, and they were like, "Okay, we'll pass on this dude who's worked with the Beatles and <laughs> oh my go God, with dude. we'll go with Robert Kirby." <laughs> so I read that Nick Drake was. Tr- he was wanting brighter later to be like his pet sounds as far as how it sounded with the arrangements and all that. He and... hired the pet sounds drummer to be on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. We're going to jump down to another one of my favorites on the record. It is track seven. It's called fly. Right. 
What do you guys think this song is about? You know, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out when I'm reading these lyrics, like, I mean, he's kind of, it seems like he's down on himself again at some point, in some points. I've fallen far down the first time around. Now I just sit on the ground in your way. This is just one of those songs, again, for me, I just love it. Like you guys are saying about Pink Moon, I do like the more simple song where it's his voice and guitar kind of in the forefront. Yeah. I think this song is probably about him wanting, like him wanting like a second chance at something. Yeah. He's a lot of references to Second Grace and... um you know, time elapsing and yeah, I've, I'm, I'm so down. I've fallen so far, things like that. Um, and so you, I guess that I don't really understand the allusions to the fly, but look, I think a lot of great songs, even and Kirk Cobain is a great songwriter and a lot of his stuff just really didn't mean anything. I mean, some of it <laughs> yeah. just, just sounds really good or, it could be that, and this is this is probably more in line with the time. I would say that Drake probably is writing impressionistically. So you think about the impressionist painters, and there's not a whole lot of definite form to say, oh, well, that is how the lawn looks. There's these little blots that make up the grass and the sky. Right. And so... You fill in the blanks with your mind, with however it is that you perceive that picture. And I think he writes like that. And I think that's part of what makes not only the fact that we barely have any audio of him actually speaking. We have only like one recorded bit of audio of him speaking. But also the fact that he writes this way makes him so damn mysterious and makes him an interesting artist too, you know? Yeah, you know, one thing about his music, it it feels timeless to me, you know? Yeah. It, this could have yeah, come out sure. yesterday. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's like, I feel like like when that Volkswagen commercial came out in 99, like that's when that like resurgence of like folk pop was about to happen, you know, in the early 2000s. Yeah, you're right. So I feel like, you know, it hit at the right time for like, you know, introducing him to people. Because it's, I mean, like you said, it sounds, it, it sounds timeless, man. I mean, that could have came out with, with the rest of those bands in the early O's, you know. Yeah, it's, I think about how many people heard that or you know saw that commercial, and we're like, man, who who is this? And they found out that it was you know an album that came out in '71 and probably blew them away. Right, that's what I'm saying. I think he actually found himself. I, I could be so wrong, but I think he actually got a a gold record after that time. I mean, of course, this is me. many years after his death, but yeah, yeah. So, do you think like one of the reasons he didn't? I mean, aside from like his his uh, drug abuse and whatnot and depression and stuff, like, do you think that one of the reasons his music didn't catch on in the seventies is is because Q? You had mentioned like you know, hard rock had had become all the rage, but like, do you think it was just because? I mean, there were a lot of folk bands back then too you know that had kind of come and gone do you think folk was dead in the in the early 70s i mean we'd gotten past like the 
you know, like the Greenwich Village stuff, right? I mean, that had already come and gone. Greenwich. Greenwich. Yeah, I mean, it's or that. Am I, am I, you know, am I, am I getting my decades mixed up here? Like, no, most of that no, folk right. stuff was dead, right? I mean, Bob Dylan it was, wasn't dead. had already D- done his thing. Dylan was, at this point, Dylan was uh, kind of hiding out. But people were obsessed with Dylan. Dylan was like, if Dylan went on tour, he was hitting the stadiums. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, people were hungry for this type of thing. It wasn't like Dylan had gone electric by this point. And so people were, Mm -hmm. it wasn't like old timey Pete Seeger folk purists out there, like demanding this type of music. But you had that second wave of folks who, we're just like, oh, uh, you know, we, we love Dylan. We also want to get into this folk thing. And then you have like Fairport Convention and Nick Drake and Burt Janch and all these other folks that come come along like in that next wave. So and that, and Drake's part of that. Yeah, exactly. It just kind of seems like he, like he was his own downfall. Like he just gave up on himself and it was he was too bummed out. About, you know, he, he thought that these two records, he was going to find success with those, you know. And like I had said, he he decided to cancel the rest of these tour dates that Joe Boyd set up for him, you know, to tour for, for Brighter Later just because, you know, he felt like no one cared. And that's a huge bummer, man. You know, and then that, yeah, like, like you were saying, Larry, then he moved back in with his parents and just got super isolated and, and increasingly depressed. Um so I do actually I do have one more clip. Maybe I can squeeze it in here. Um uh, so another one of his uh you know longest you know oldest friends uh from college, his name is Brian Wells. Um and he actually is now like a a pretty well known psychiatrist or you know, at least respected psychiatrist. And he, he kinda has a little bit of something to say about what he felt was kinda going on uh with Nick Drake's mental health. I think Nick became increasingly withdrawn and didn't actually suffer from what I would now regard as a depressive illness that I would prescribe antidepressant drugs for. I think that what happened was it was a bit like Phil Spector, who was regarded as a sort of mad genius who became isolated and everybody said, oh, Phil Spector's a mad genius who becomes isolated. And he kind of lived out his own image, if you like. And I think that Nick made brighter later. It didn't get the reviews that possibly he was hoping for. And I think that his relationship, Joe Boyd went off to America and Nick was increasingly isolated. And I think to some extent he began to live his own... Um, sort of rather melancholic, um, fan- not fantasy, but but he he got himself into a rut. So that I think that's interesting. It's almost like he's saying he he's like he's like speaking all these things into existence just in his own mind. Like he's he's getting increasingly more isolated and down on himself because that's what he feels like he deserves at this point. Yeah. Damn. The fact that this guy's saying that he wouldn't. That he he didn't think of Nick Drake as someone who was you know depressive and someone he would he would prescribe meds to. That's interesting to me, um, mm-hmm. and also so it's just so sad, man. Yeah, my heart. Poor Nick, <laughs> Poor Nick man. <laughs> All right, so I wasn't gonna play this song, but let's for our last clip from uh, Brighter Later. Now that I found out that Northern Sky is your favorite one on the record, let's play a little bit of it. 
Yeah, dude, that's like that's my favorite. That's the crowning jewel, in my opinion. Let's hear it, man. That's a great song, man. Now I'm just picturing you and Carissa doing your first dance. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, dude. Very important tune. I had people come up to me afterwards. They were like, "Dude, I'd never heard that song before." And uh, a couple people uh, made that comment and were like. Almost not, I don't want to say disgusted, but they were just like, oh, that was kind of a sad song you played. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, come on. Are, the, like, are, the, are the lyrics kind of sad? No, or what? I mean, it's, it's basically, in my opinion, talking about like uh, the amazing feeling. I don't know. That is love, I guess. I don't know. That's, a, that's sort of the way I've. Yeah, yeah. It's how like, it's not a physical presence, but it's there. Yeah, and how sure. he longs for that, and how it, and how he feels like whoever that is is coming to bring that. At least that's yeah. my interpretation. So I don't, I didn't pull up lyrics, but it, it is, um, it is so obvious how how much he was influenced by his mother, um, with that song that we heard from her. How the wild wind blows, like he, yeah, like you said, a lot of his music there's this imagery with nature and like these metaphors with like the power of like natural forces in in the world and like how it can relate to us dude you you can hear like really shitty songwriters that they'll throw they'll string together these metaphors and stuff and like for some reason like even if you say well he's just he's just putting together these things that sound good and they don't mean anything for whatever reason, when he does, say he is doing that, it sounds fantastic. 
Whereas when you hear like a really bad songwriter, you go, go to any open mic night and catch somebody who's writing their first batch of songs. They will put this stuff in thinking, ah, yes, uh, it just sounds poetic. Therefore, it you know, it'll be considered art. But it like pretty clearly stands out as just being pretentious and lame. Yeah. It is crazy that... You know some of this, some of the imagery that he puts together. Somehow it ties together that thread that he weaves through each of those images. Uh, I, I can't quite tell what it is, but it's there. I mean, because it feels cohesive. Yeah. What do you think, Trav? <laughs> what? He's surfing, <laughs> he's surfing the web. I, you, you've been surfing the web, brother. <laughs> We were get, we're getting no, we're no, getting all deep no. and lovey dove. No, and no, no. <laughs> well, okay. Here's what I was gonna say. I did. I do have. I do have. I do have a comment. Okay. On okay. Go ahead. All of that. Go ahead. So, like, you were talking about. You can tell the difference between some some singer at an open mic night and like somebody like Nick Drake. I feel like it, like we talked about this when we when we did the Fleet Foxes episode and talked about Robin Pecknold and stuff. Like you have to be a good like storyteller and like poet, you know, it, you know, if you want to be a good songwriter, like, oh yeah, you can't, I feel like you, you can be a, you, you can be a great guitar player and even come up with a good melody and stuff. But if like, you know, it, I mean, shit, you listen to the radio now and it's, the lyrics are, are stupid, you it's, know, and like, there's nothing, know, a lot of know, it's bad. Of course you can say that. Yeah. But I'm saying like, that's what makes, you know, somebody like a Nick Drake, yeah. Or Robin Pecknold, you know that's what makes them stand out. Is like that you can tell that they're they they pay they pay a lot of attention to to the to the the lyrics and the story that they're trying to tell or the mood that they're trying to set, even well, if it's nonsensical, you know. Yeah, and in the few years that that Nick went to college, he did study English literature. So, um, I mean, he's obviously a writer. You know, he yeah. probably has journals. He probably had diaries and journals and stuff that he was writing in. Because like we were saying, it all sounds very reflective too. Like he's obviously like very like in his head, you know? Yeah. He'd read like a lot of, uh, they describe him in this book on Pink Moon. They describe him growing up as being an athlete, but being like the guy who was like always reading books and reading like old philosophy books and always, but, and always being sort of withdrawn and, and like somebody who liked art. But also was very athletic in school. He's a big um, dude, man. He's that guy yeah. is a beast. Well, all right, boys. Uh actually, Larry, do you want to listen to any other songs on this album? Did I miss did I miss one you wanted to hear? No. I I really like uh Chimes of a City Clock. Yeah, it's a good or one. at the Chime of a City Clock. I did make a clip of that one. But um actually, you know what? Let's just, we'll just, uh, outro, that'll be our outro clip. We'll just fade out with, with at the time yeah. of the city clock, which what I like about, about that song, uh, it just kind of, it has a cool, like really conjures up images of like city life. Um, and kind of like a, uh, sings about like a social life too, which is, you know, it's, it's not like Nick Drake to, to, to write songs about stuff like that. So, I, but I, I really like that song. So we'll have that one as our outro. So let's wrap it up, brothers. Yeah, man. I think this is a solid episode. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Larry, for doing this with us. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yes. So 
as always. You know what, Travis? I always say this part. You say it this time. Well, I like it when you say it because you always compliment the website when you say it. Well, compliment your own damn website. No, I ain't gonna do that, dude. Why not? It's all, it's all right. You gotta <laughs> self-promote, buddy. Yeah. That's my last name. Wow. <laughs> I gotta right. cut that part out, Here too. I go. Actually, no. I don't <laughs> Travis, uh, where can they find uh, us? Fine, I'll fucking say <laughs> So, uh, as always, you can find us on nofillerpodcast.com, where you can read the show notes and listen to all of our previous episodes learn a little bit more about each artist and album that we cover you can also find us on soundcloud and i uh, god damn this is why you do it you you sound like like i'm just dragging you along like it's the last thing you want to do ever screaming dude uh you can find us online where 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 else can you find us you can find us on soundcloud much better (laughs) we hate this part (laughs) Well, and just, iTunes. Just and copy and paste it from the last from the last episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shh, Larry. What are you talking about? We don't edit any of this. Ever. I'm sure you probably did it. You probably nailed it. You probably nailed it. Felt good about it during one one time you running through this. That's true. There's gotta be at least one time where it was like, man, that was perfect. All right. Well, yeah. Perfect outro. Well, Travis, why don't you listen to all of our old episodes and you let me know which one it is. Okay. That way, so uh, while I'm editing this together, you can just send me like, all right, episode 20. Man, we sounded so excited about talking about our website. Let's let put me, that let one in. Just get right on Let's there. put that one in. All right, friends. Uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. So again, we're going to fade us out with another song from Brighter Later. Um, and I don't even know what we're going to do next next week, Travel. We'll just figure that out later. It's not like anyone's listening anyways, right? (laughs) 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 Anyways, thank you again, Larry, for joining us. Uh, You're welcome back anytime, my man. Yeah, dude. Thank you. Yeah. Alrighty. uh, So we're going to fade us out with track three on Brighter Later. It is called At the Chime of a City Clock. City freeze, get on your knees, pray for warmth and green paper. A city drought, you're down and out. I see your trousers don't taper. I saddle up, I kick your feet. I ride the range of a London street. I travel to a local plane Turn around and come back again And at the chime of a city clock I put up your roadblock I hang on to your ground For a stone in a tin can Is wealth to the city man Who leaves his arm down
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 